Worldwide efforts continue to control the spread of the COVID-19 coronavirus. And while most of us haven't contracted the virus, it is expected that we will all have some level of stress and anxiety related to this and maybe other feelings as well, guilt, depression, anger. This includes adults. So many people have either lost a job or they're furloughed and they're uncertain when or if things will go back to normal. As well as kids. They are missing their friends, feeling a little bit cut off, a little bit isolated, not unlike a lot of adults. And later, we'll learn about a nationwide registry collecting info on frontline healthcare workers. We saw the need to better understand the impact of COVID-19 on healthcare workers emotionally and other health-related outcomes over time. We're exploring the psychological impacts of the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic inside this edition of CTSI Discovery Radio. Welcome to CTSI Discovery Radio. I'm your host, Brian Belmer. CTSI Discovery Radio is brought to you by the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin. The CTSI is a consortium of researchers, doctors, scientists, and others representing eight institutions, including the Medical College of Wisconsin, Milwaukee School of Engineering, Marquette University, the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, Children's Wisconsin, Freighter Hospital, Versity Blood Center of Wisconsin, and the Zablocki VA Medical Center. The CTSI works collaboratively across all of our member institutions. Our mission is advancing health through research and discovery. In the week since the outbreak of the COVID-19 coronavirus in our communities, we've all done our part to join in the effort to stop the spread of this newly discovered disease. But this has come at a cost. If you're feeling that social distancing and isolation have taken a toll on you psychologically, you're about to learn that it likely has. And it's perfectly understandable. Dr. Sadie Larson is an associate professor, Department of Psychiatry, at the Medical College of Wisconsin. Dr. Larson sees adult patients at both the Fredert and the Medical College of Wisconsin's Behavioral Health Center and the Zablocki VA Medical Center. She tells us that while people's reactions vary, she sees the overall level of stress related to the pandemic as pretty high in general, I would say. I work with a lot of different patients and for some it's hitting them incredibly hard and for others you know it's almost like the rest of the country has caught up to their level of anxiety and so now it feels like okay I'm comfortable here I know how to deal with this. As far as specific common stressors that adults may have been affected by during the pandemic and resulting stay-at-home period. I think some of the big ones economic uncertainty has been a big part of this. So many people that I know have either lost a job or they're furloughed and they're just uncertain when or if things will go back to normal. A second major stressor for many adults is simply maintaining good overall health, especially in the face of a disease that is still so unknown. We know a lot about how a lot of other diseases act, and this one we just don't know that much about it yet. So it's really scary to be dealing with something on a daily basis that you just don't understand yet. A third major stressor, parenting. People with kids having to manage all of that, plus being basically a teacher 
and needing to figure out what to do with their kids and how to talk with their kids about this, that's been a huge stressor as well. And then a fourth major stressor for many people. Social distancing. You know, I've heard people say that we should call it physical distancing rather than social distancing because when we're going through stressors, the best thing for people is to be able to connect with other people, to kind of walk through all this stuff, and to have that be harder at this time, it's really challenging and it feels unnatural. The stress and anxiety caused by the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic can significantly affect us psychologically, manifesting in moods such as anger. When we're more stressed, we're more anxious, then we also tend to get more irritable, angry, all kinds of things. All of that irritability is kind of a common consequence of just being more anxious. It's also causing feelings of grief. Certainly there have been people who have lost loved ones during this time, but even for people who haven't, there's that kind of loss of normalcy, loss of the sense of basic safety that we usually have. So feeling like you've lost some of those normal things brings this sense of an ambiguous grief. Even losing the ability to properly take care of ourselves. So we need to sleep and exercise and eat well, you know, all those things that we know are good for us in general. But it can be harder to sleep when you're anxious, when you're stressed out. And it can be hard to know how to exercise when your gym is closed or when you're not sure if you can go to a park. Of course, people react differently to situations. We asked Dr. Larson how different segments of our population might be impacted by the pandemic. First, adults with chronic diseases who are more at risk for contracting the COVID-19 coronavirus. With populations who are at higher risk, there's kind of a danger in moving about the world anyway, but it's really heightened and on everyone's mind right now. Although sometimes that's not so straightforward. She gives an example based on one person's experience she heard about recently. A woman who is immunocompromised and so has had periods of having to basically self-quarantine in the past. So for her, she was saying, this is scary and it's annoying, but everyone else is just now dealing with what I've always had to deal with. So you get that mix of people who are going to be more anxious and people who are going to feel like, I know how to handle this. What about adults working on the front lines in fighting and treating COVID-19? You know, on some level, they are trained for this, but I think part of what's scary right now is knowing that our levels of personal protective equipment are low, and that's scary, you know, going in and feeling like you don't have all the protection that you ideally would to do this job. And she adds that frontline workers could be impacted long after the pandemic is well under control. The numbers of deaths that people are seeing is going to vary based on the location. But in general, I think that's one of the things that's just going to be really, really hard for people both now and down the line. Because the nature of those jobs can cause people not to be impacted until later. Sometimes in the moment they can be fine because essentially you have to put your emotions to the side and I imagine that it may be a bit harder down the line when people sit back and process everything that they've seen. Even putting some at risk for serious lingering after effects such as post-traumatic stress disorder. I do worry about some of our frontline providers, especially in those kinds of conditions where you can't save everyone. That's a hard thing to live with, even if you did do your absolute best with what you had in the moment. What about adults with previously diagnosed psychological disorders? 
How might the COVID-19 pandemic affect them differently? It may exacerbate some of the underlying concerns. So if you're someone who has had an anxiety disorder, especially if that anxiety disorder deals with concerns about contamination, something like obsessive compulsive disorder can be really heightened when it's the whole world worried about the same thing. Another population that can be significantly impacted, people battling depression. You know, one of the worst things for depression is to be isolated, to not be able to get active and do things that are good for your morale. And the world that we live in right now, it's kind of tailor-made to not do things that might lift your spirits. So I worry about that population right now. As well as adults with substance abuse disorders. I was just working with someone who has been sober for a while now and really connected to an AA community. And the difficulty is those groups can't meet right now. If you're someone who is stuck at home with a lot of extra time on your hands, that's really challenging to not turn to some old bad habit. And then there are senior citizens, many of whom Dr. Larson says are also feeling the psychological impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. Senior citizens in particular are a very high-risk age group right now, and that's challenging if you're someone who's living on your own or living in a nursing home and who may not have a lot of options for getting the kind of daily things that you need and less of the support that they may need. So what are some strategies for us to cope with the psychological impacts related to the pandemic? Dr. Larson says, start with what you already know. Everyone has been through something difficult in their lives before. And so the first thing that I encourage people to do is not think of this as something completely different than anything else. So what have you done before that has been helpful to you? And she says, It's always helpful to remind yourself of what are the things that I can control and the things that I can't control. There are a lot of things that we can't control right now, and so it's really helpful to just come back to what is it that I can actually do and focus on those things in particular. She gives some examples. Trying to keep a normal routine, taking care of your body by sleeping, exercising, feeding yourself well, and those things feel so basic, but we really need to put a little bit more emphasis on just doing those really basic things right now. But Dr. Larson also says it's important to give yourself a break during this time not expecting you will always cope in the best way. It's okay to grieve for a little bit, but then acknowledge that we're doing the best we can and try to take that next step to a better place. After all, some level of stress or anxiety at a time like this is normal. In fact, it is expected that we will all have some stress and anxiety related to this and maybe other feelings as well, guilt, depression, anger. I think the important thing is not to try to get rid of those, but rather acknowledge that they're probably going to be there. So how can we do the things that matter to us while still having those feelings? However, just as there are healthy coping mechanisms for adults, there are things to avoid. One of the biggest ones is obsessively following the news right now. There's been some research showing that that's really linked to higher levels of stress and anxiety. So that would be something that is not recommended. And there are others. Any kind of coping mechanisms that can cause their own problems like over-drinking, overeating. We may do those things from time to time. That's not necessarily a problem. 
but if you're turning to that as the coping mechanism, that can certainly start to become its own problem over time. But what if our own or another adult's level of concern about the pandemic is potentially unsafe or unhealthy? It's important to talk through with a loved one if you're feeling like my level of stress or worry is getting out of hand. If it's really just getting in the way of things that are important to you, then this is a good time to reach out. Dr. Larson says there are resources available. I would really encourage people to reach out to mental health care during this time. I work with both the medical college and the VA, and both are doing telehealth services. So mental health care has not gone away. It's definitely still available during this time. If the psychological impacts from the pandemic are getting to you, stay strong and be good to yourself and others. Extend a little grace to ourselves, a little bit of kindness to other people. And if you need to, please reach out for help. Mental health is available during this time. If you're feeling that your kids haven't been quite themselves the past several weeks, you're probably right. Dr. David Cipriano is an associate professor, Department of Psychiatry, Child and Adolescent Program at the Medical College of Wisconsin, who tells us, just like adults, children and teens are also affected by interruptions to their life as normal because of this pandemic and stay-at-home period. I think a lot of them are missing their usual routines, their activities, whether it's sports or music lessons or dance lessons, scouting, whatever they're doing. There are less outlets, you know, the way we blow off steam or the way we cope or what have you. For kids, it's the same. He says some kids are missing something even they may be surprised by. I've had more than a few kids say they are missing school. And it's not just the social aspects, it's the structure and they get stimulated there and they're not bored. So yeah, they're missing out on a lot. Also, just like adults, kids are experiencing psychological consequences of these stressors. Not having access to these outlets means a couple of things. Number one, those recreational activities are an outlet for a lot of kids. Physical exertion is an outlet for a lot of kids to help them settle down or blow off some stress that they might be having. And in addition to causing stress, the lack of those outlets can create other issues. Hey, a lot of those activities, those are sources of you know confidence building and self-esteem, and they're missing out on those things as well then, those opportunities. Not to mention the social isolation they're experiencing. They are missing their friends quite a bit, so feeling a little bit cut off, you know, a little bit isolated. Again, not unlike a lot of adults. As a result, parents are seeing a variety of changes in behavior from their kids. I've been hearing a lot about irritability, about grouchy, crabby kids. That's a biggie. Some of them are prone to getting more worried, to more anxious about things. I've heard a little bit of hopelessness out of kids. And while that may sound extreme, he explains where that sense of hopelessness can come from. Kids don't have the same sense of time that adults do, right? I mean, we know when the Safer at Home order's been extended, you and I can count up how many weeks that is. But for kids, I mean, those four or five weeks, you know, that could be an eternity for them. They really don't have a sense of how long that is. And so they just don't have a grasp on when this is going to end. In their worst case scenario, they're imagining it will never end. 
Of course, just as adults react differently to situations, kids are no different. Dr. Cipriano sees a range of severity in responses from kids during the pandemic. What parents are seeing right now might manifest in worry in certain kids. On the other hand, I have had some of my pretty anxious kids actually express a little bit of a decrease in their anxiety. Social situations were stressful for them. They are now able to avoid those and they're actually experiencing less stress. On the other hand, very social kids are definitely missing their friends. They're going to be complaining of being bored a lot and worried about friends forgetting about them and so forth. Yeah, quite a range of reactions. The public health crisis we're experiencing is new for everyone. But are kids more vulnerable to possible psychological impacts of the pandemic? They can be. They have less of the reservoir of coping strategies that adults do. They have less access to information, less agency, less control over their world. And so, sure, they can be a little bit more vulnerable to stress. And Dr. Cipriano says how kids react to the pandemic can be a reflection of how their parents react to it. Kids are looking to us constantly. So in addition to managing our own reactions to this crisis, we have to be very aware of what we're modeling for our children. So, yeah, they're looking to us even when we don't think they are. What can parents do to best support their kids during and after the pandemic? What they can do is help keep a routine, not only a school routine, but a routine for getting outside and getting some exercise and relaxation as well. They can help them socialize. They might need a little prompting. Parents can pave the way by getting the other children's phone numbers, email addresses, so they can facilitate the socializing. Parents can also help by modeling their own coping skills. It's important that parents first start by modeling their own feelings. We say with feelings, name it and claim it. So if you're having a feeling, when you identify that feeling and find an appropriate outlet for it, it has way less control over you, especially a negative feeling. He gives an example for parents. Say right out loud, boy, I'm really missing this or that, or this is becoming kind of lonely right now. But then it's equally as important to follow it up with a positive coping statement or strategy. So for the parent to then say, let's reach out to grandma this afternoon or something like that. Conversely, there are things parents are advised not to share with their kids. I would avoid the gory details of mortality and morbidity rates. I don't think those are necessary for children. But kids will be kids, which means... Kids are going to be curious. They're going to overhear things. They're going to ask questions. It's okay to talk about, this is a serious virus. It does spread easily. Here's what we can do to control it. Dr. Cipriano also cautions parents to limit their own and their kids' exposure to the news during this time. That's one of the biggest complaints I've been getting from children. My parents have the news on too much. So I have had to tell quite a few parents to limit the amount of time that the news is on the television, at least in the public rooms of the house. Social media, same thing. It's hard to take that away. It's a really good and beneficial outlet for kids right now. But I would at least inoculate our kids against some of the, I'm using air quotes, news that people are getting from social media. But kids are going to have rational concerns. So how do parents know if a child's concerns about the outbreak become irrational? 
Dr. Cipriano says you might find signs in their words. You'd start to hear some pretty hopeless statements that would let you know. Statements like, things are never going to go back to normal. We're all going to die. Those are statements I've actually heard from some of my patients. So when we hear extreme statements, that ought to cause us to sit up and take notice. You may also see signs in their actions. You might see changes in functioning. Sleep might become more disrupted or energy could either go up or down. Desire for socializing might go down in a previously pretty social kid. So we can see changes that might give us a clue that our child is stressed out. If a parent's concerned that their child's psychological health is compromised, he says there are things you can do. A great trick that we cognitive therapists use, which is probability versus possibility. Probability is what's most likely to happen. That's the more realistic view because anything's possible. And if we're going to live our life on possibilities, we're setting ourselves up for all sorts of problems. Andy says to reassure kids by reminding them. You are safe at home with your family who are watching over you and our social distancing and our hygiene and so on. Remind kids what they have under their control, you know? Control is such a great antidote to stress. Let kids know what they do have under their control and praise them for using it. Of course, there are kids with pre-existing psychological or cognitive disorders. Dr. Cipriano says the pandemic can make them more vulnerable, including kids with anxiety. Anxiety gets us to go straight to the worst-case scenario, focus only on the negatives. Those are some things I worry about with kids that are already anxious, that they'll have even more of those tricks that anxiety plays on our thinking. Kids with ADHD. Working at home now, and we're still expecting a fair amount of schoolwork, and they might be used to some extra support at school that they're not getting right now. Kids who have suffered from trauma. The frightening news, the changes in their parents' work situations or the family's financial situations, those can be triggers hearkening back to their previous trauma and make some of those old fears recur. And kids on the autism spectrum. Rigid adherence to their routines, it's comforting to them. So to ask them to make changes in their routine is really difficult. But suddenly we're asking an awful lot of these kids. He says parents can help kids with pre-existing conditions by showing them how they're helping to control the spread of the COVID-19 coronavirus. We want to help them identify the safety cues in their environment. Kids like to feel like they're doing something. So help them see that, hey, when you resist running up to a friend out on the street, you're helping all of us stay healthy. Dr. Cipriano says it's important for parents to remember that the psychological impacts on any young person can last well after the pandemic. Some of them might have a little bit of lingering anxiety. I think we're going to have to be offering support to kids for quite a while after we get this virus under control. And, of course... It's going to be a bigger concern for kids who had pre-existing mental health problems. They'd be more vulnerable to lasting effects. But, he says, parents must stress to their kids that... We'll all get back to normal eventually. Might be a new normal, but it'll probably be an even better normal. And we'll have learned a lot about ourselves, about new ways to help other people. And above all, he reminds parents to be good role models.
because... Children are looking to the adults around them for how to cope. So we have to be modeling healthy expression of feelings and a positive outlook when we can. Up next, we focus our CTSI on research as critical data is being collected in a nationwide registry of our country's healthcare workers to learn about the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on the heroes working on the front lines. To learn more, we turn to Dr. Emily O'Brien, Assistant Professor, Department of Population Health Sciences at Duke University and a Principal Investigator of the HERO Registry. Dr. O'Brien first shares what the acronym HERO in HERO Registry stands for. HERO stands for Healthcare Worker Exposure Response and Outcomes Registry. What exactly is the HERO Registry? HERO is a large national registry of healthcare workers that is funded by the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute. We saw the need to collect data to better understand the scope of the impact of COVID-19 on healthcare workers, both emotionally and with respect to risk of infection and other health-related outcomes over time. With the overall goal to fill this unmet need for evidence by creating a national community of healthcare workers who will help us understand how this population is doing right now and over time. So it's really a longitudinal cohort study, and we're envisioning it as a living registry where we will hopefully be able to add on more modules on priorities that are important to this community. Who's eligible to sign up for the HERO registry? We're interested in really understanding how this pandemic is affecting people on a large scale. So everyone from nurses and pharmacists and respiratory therapists to food service workers, doctors, environmental services workers, someone who works in a setting where people receive health care. The more variety and diversity, the better. And she says eligibility is being kept intentionally broad really wanted to make sure that we got a picture of what's happening in this community. And so if you speak English or Spanish and you're an adult healthcare worker in the United States, you're eligible for the registry. Next, Dr. O'Brien tells us there are three key types of data the registry is collecting. First, there's a core survey. Where we ask some information about who these healthcare workers are, where they work, risk factors related to past medical history, potential exposure to COVID-19. Second is a self-report by participants. Things like availability of personal protective equipment, as well as some questions about emotional well-being to get a sense of how are they doing psychologically and what are we seeing with respect to fatigue, depression, and burnout and anxiety. And third, an open-ended question. So we're asking them what is most important to healthcare workers right now to make sure that we're really addressing those priorities in a systematic and organized way. What's hoped to be learned from the information collected? Certainly we're interested in a perspective of healthcare workers in terms of adequate access to personal protective equipment, interested in how many healthcare workers are reporting new infections over time, is psychological well-being worse in areas with higher rates of infection. And then again, what are the healthcare community thinking about? The HERO registry is fast-tracking knowledge, which is important. There's new information coming out every day about COVID-19. And so by creating this community for healthcare workers, we're hopeful that we can gather and disseminate information about how people are doing right now, but also how they're doing over time. And possibly connect healthcare workers with research and clinical trial opportunities. So we're asking if people are interested 
interested in participating in future research and then gathering some basic information on potential inclusion and exclusion criteria so that we can appropriately link people to research of interest to them in the future. Finally, Dr. O'Brien has a message for frontline healthcare workers. Thank you for everything that you're doing right now to support patients and other workers within the healthcare community. And a call to action. Your perspective is extremely important to us. We'd love to hear from you in terms of how you're doing and especially what matters to you at this important time. So if you want to learn more about the HERO Registry, have more information available about the registry at heroesresearch.org, and we're happy to answer any questions that you have, concerns you have about participation. We're very eager to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out. That's heroesresearch.org. But for now, that's all the time we have for this edition of CTSI Discovery Radio. Our sincere thanks to all of our guests, Dr. Sadie Larson. Dr. David Cipriano, and Dr. Emily O'Brien. I hope you've discovered something by listening to today's show, and I'm doubly hopeful that you'll join us again next time. CTSI Discovery Radio airs the third Friday of every month. Make an appointment on your calendar and join us for each episode. On behalf of the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin and all of our affiliate partners and members, I'm Brian Belmer, wishing you happier, healthier days ahead. For more information about research or to listen to the podcast of this or any of our shows online and on demand, please visit our website at ctsi.mcw.edu. You'll also find it wherever you listen to your other favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. CTSI Discovery Radio is written, produced, and hosted by Brian Belmer in collaboration with WMSE Radio. The CTSI and this program are under the direction of Dr. Reza Shakir.